0: You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hi, I'm Wade Zaglis, Education Editor at Campus Review. Today we're talking to Professor Simon Haynes, CEO of the Ramsey Centre for Western Civilisation. Professor Haynes, to start with, why do we need a Ramsey Centre Western Civilisation degree in Australia? What aren't other university programs doing?
1: Oh, well, thanks for that, Wade. Look, the first thing to say is that um, we, we, we believe that universities are doing a great job, uh, and none of what we're doing is intended as a, a criticism of what other university programs are doing. Mm-hmm. We're conscious, of course, that particularly in the arts and humanities area in universities, which is obviously what we're concerned with, rather than, you know, law or engineering or whatever, um, we, we, we're aware that funding is always tight, mm-hmm. uh, and some some extra sources of help would, would always be welcome. So what we're offering here, and we're very excited by this. I mean, I know there's been criticism in the media, but basically we retain a huge sense of enthusiasm and um, and kind of delight that we're able to be offering this um, this help. What we're offering is kind of um, what we think of as, as an extra strand of potential richness and diversity in the offerings that are possible from arts faculties, humanities faculties in Australian universities. Okay. Um, this is not intended to be in any way kind of crowding out uh, all the rich things that universities already do. It's intended to be complementary, to help them, to be an extra strand. And just as a bit of background, Wade, if I can take a little bit longer on your question, sure. if that's okay. Um, I think some of the... Um, some of the opposition, if that's the right word, some of the worries that we've been running into on campus have as much to do with unfamiliarity of the model as anything
2: else.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we have in this country, as you would know, uh, a degree model, which is basically Anglo-Scottish in its origins, With typically, if you're doing a straight BA, for example, you would have a double major, and then you, if you went on to fourth year, you'd do honours in one of them. But it's essentially sure. a a one or two-track discipline specialism, and then in some cases, and this is very, very sensible and very widely practised, you have a combined degree where you do your arts degree along with law or, you know, computer science or whatever it was. Um, what we're what we're um, aiming to introduce here is a twist on this, which is basically derived from an American model. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly called the liberal arts model; it's more like a great books model.
2: Right.
1: Uh, and this has been hugely successful in a number of American institutions for over 100 years, uh, At starting early in the 20th or late in the 19th century with some very ancient institutions that introduced it. And in some cases, this, this kind of great books approach occupies the whole degree. Mm-hmm. In other cases, as in Columbia or Chicago, other places, but very, very um, distinguished eminent American universities, it would occupy a part of the degree and then you build in other things around there. And what we're proposing here is basically to introduce uh, this great books program as an optional potential part of either a straight arts degree or a combined arts something else degree. So it would not even, you know, obviously it's optional. No student has to do it if they don't want to. Um, Neither do universities have to offer it if they don't want to. It's all very much, you know, on on the table and optional. But If they did, the idea is that this would occupy a chunk of the student's degree, but not all, thus leaving a lot of room to fit in other things around the edges. So uh, we can talk about that again in a minute. Um, But what I'd like to say at the moment is that this is multidisciplinary. So essentially what we're doing is offering a huge range of fantastic texts which, in the case of the better-resourced, bigger, older universities, might well be available in other um, discipline or department silos, so that a lot of these would be available in the classics department or history or philosophy, but nowhere would a course like this be available as an integrated collection, um, a sequential collection of the great texts in literature, philosophy, art, music of the West, as one sort of single, standalone, extended major. So it's It's an unusual model. It's intended to combine the best of both worlds, Mm -hmm. the American great book style and the Australian, you know, slash Anglo-Scottish discipline-focused style and give a student a chance to to do both at once.
0: Okay, thanks for clearing that up, um, Professor Haynes. Critics of the Ramsey Centre program argue that at least parts of it whitewash history. What's your response to that?
1: Well, my response to that is that that's completely wrong. Mm -hmm. My response would be that this is history. In other words, the texts that are offered in in a course like this are, for good reason, regarded as the most important works of self-criticism by the West of itself Mm -hmm. in its whole history. And as such, they, they in fact constitute us, Wade. I mean, these are the kinds of, self-criticism of our societies over the millennia that have made the West what it is, which is a distinctively self-critical civilization. Mm. self-conscious, yes. Yes. Well, particularly self-critical. I mean, this Mm -hmm. this teaches you critical thinking like nothing else. So if you go back, just pick a few random examples. If you go back and look at um, Sophocles' Antigone, Or if you look at what Socrates does in the Apology and the Crito and his early dialogues, or if you look at what the Sermon on the Mount says about Old Testament values versus New Testament values, or if you look at what Nietzsche says, jumping forward a hell of a long way, uh, what Nietzsche says about transvaluation of values, or you look at uh, Juvenal or Goya, you know, think about painters, or Dostoevsky, I mean... Examples just come so thick and fast you could just go on and on just naming names. Mm -hmm. But all of these writers, Rousseau, there's another one, Dickens, another one, Thucydides, another one, all of them are deeply thoughtful of and critical about the societies and the values of the societies that they wrote those books in. And out of that glorious kind of tradition of self-critical texts has arisen all the institutions and attitudes that we've tend to just rather complacently take for granted, um, unless we've done really good existing arts degrees in universities, of course, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you see, you see, but you see what I'm saying. So basically, far from whitewashing history, this is our history. These are the things that we know. These are the things that have made us what we are.
0: One of the unique parts of this program is its adoption of small Oxbridge-like tutorial groups. How do you think this kind of environment will benefit Australian students?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Well, in a way, it's it's almost self-evident, uh, Wade. I mean, if you had the choice between what a lot of students experience in universities in all subjects, and mm-hmm. nobody likes this, but it's kind of forced on on everybody by the, the structures.
2: Yep.
1: Uh, what a lot of students experience is that, okay, that they enrol in Course X at the beginning of first year or whatever, And they find themselves in a lecture room with 300 students. And up the front is a lecturer who probably knows an awful lot about what she's talking about. You know, she's an authority. But she gives the lecture for an hour, maybe a very good one. But you don't get much of a chance for interactivity because there's just 300 people in the room and one up the front. And then off you go. And then you're broken up into tutorial classes where you will discuss the topic for the week, which was mentioned in the lecture. But even those will vary. I mean, I have... Student after student we've talked to has repeated this experience. In the, tu- the, the tutorial, the seminar, you then probably have 25, maybe even 30, but certainly way over 20 students. Yep. And the chances, unless you're very pushy or unless you've been to one of those nice schools where they teach you to be, you know, to push yourself forward, the chances are that you're going to sit up the back or sit silently in your tutorial and just be a bit overwhelmed and go through a whole term and You know, the way to learn is to contribute. And far too often in class after class, nobody does. So if you are in a class of, let's say, seven, um, it's not Oxbridge because we can never in this country, I suspect, match that. I mean, Oxbridge, I think they have one or two students per teacher because it's a a collegiate system and it's nothing like we can offer here. So we're not aiming, you know, we couldn't even dream of aspiring to that. But... If you think about Princeton, for example, I think typically a tutorial there would be in that sort of six, seven, eight kind of student mark. We're hoping on a small scale in some departments, in some universities, to start that ball rolling, offer some funding to make that possible. And what happens then is that the thing becomes so interactive. You know, in a way, it's like saying you can't hide, because if there's only six or seven of you in the room it's absolutely obvious mm-hmm. that the teacher is going to make sure that everybody contributes. And that brings people out of themselves, which is literally what education means. And it means that the students learn from each other to some extent, as, much as not as much as they learn from the teacher, but they are all together with the teacher focused on the text. So you've got the, the object of study in front of you, you're all sitting in a small group around the object of study, and it's drawing from you as a conversation Things that you didn't know about yourself, about the text, and about each other. It's it's a wonderful a wonderful model, and I'm not pretending that we can fund at a level that would make this possible across everywhere. Of course not. Mm-hmm. But at least if we can set an example of what might be possible given ingenuity and other sources of funding in the future, um, then hopefully we'll at least be able to do that. But there's no doubt I think in any um, pedagogy, pedagogical theory that this is a fantastic learning environment for students. And students have suffered. I think uh, that the massification of universities over the last generation or so um, uh, together with the drive to prioritise rankings and research mm-hmm. and also the tendency for and understandably for university managers to focus in terms of the funding on other faculties than good old arts and humanities um, I think the students have tended to, to be the victims of this process that nobody kind of Indeed. intended, um, but it's, it's ended up to their detriment. So we're just hoping to maybe help some faculty set an example of, I won't say a return to a, a golden age in the past, because there never was one, but uh, um, possibly a golden age in the future. You know, you never know.
0: Uh, another concern has been expressed over the study of... Great books, uh, the Western canon. What's so hmm. beneficial about this corpus of great texts? And and you have talked about it a bit before. Yeah, uh, no,
1: that's um, uh, no. I'm happy to. I'm happy uh, to go on about that one way. And just and
0: just, but, and but. just um, no, that's okay. And just and also, why do you think people are concerned about that?
1: Um, well, let me let me focus on the first thing that you said first. Mm. Um, now one i think one misconception that people sometimes have when they use phrases like corpus and canon is that they have a sort of model in their minds of a, a, a set of fixed monuments kind of like the pyramids
2: mm-hmm.
1: so we're all supposed to go and kind of stand at a distance and marvel at marvel at these huge stone things that that are just sort of impassive and and um, you can't access them but they're just kind of huge and famous yeah. and so you learn a few things to say about them and that's, you know, that's the great <laughs> That That is a total misconception. We think of these texts as, how can I put this, they're not, they're not even transmissive. They're not just transmitting the wisdom of the past. They are endlessly renewable, put it this way, think of it like an energy model, okay? They're dynamic, endlessly renewable sources of intellectual energy. That's a bit what they're like. They're like an an energy grid, um, a renewable energy grid that extends backwards for 3,000 years across time rather than for 3,000 miles across country, you know? So if you think of the whole of our intellectual past Mm -hmm. as a huge energy grid, these are the sources of the energy. And they're always endlessly renewing themselves. Each new generation that thinks about them thinks about them differently. Uh, sees all over again that this was a civilization or is a civilization which constantly, critically explores and reinvents itself. These are um, books uh, and works of art and music that that show us that so much of what we assume is modern or correct in our thinking and our attitudes is just the recycling of very ancient insights. Mm -hmm. So much of what we take for granted is just the hard-won outcome of centuries of struggle and progress, all of this is really what it means to be educated in who you are and where you've come from and the texts that do it are alive not dead you know they're they're, they're thrilling dynamic living texts so kind of that's the first part of your question i suppose and then the other one about why people have worried about this well i i think very often this is a reflection of certain ideological and attitudes that are just rather narrow and rather divisive Mm -hmm. and rather non-inclusive in their attitudes, and they tend to assume that simply because you study, you know, David Hume or Jonathan Swift or Jane Austen or, you know, Virginia Woolf or whatever it might be, that this this is somehow being triumphalist or supremacist about the West. Well, it's just, just, this, this is completely the opposite of the case. I mean, so many of these writers are Uh, the sources of openness to non-Western cultures and civilizations. So much of the Enlightenment French tradition and European tradition was a matter of opening our culture to non-Western, non-European cultures. And in many ways, the West is the exemplary opening civilization and culture to a degree that very few others have ever been. And the other thing I'd say is that just because the course that we're proposing has a predominance of texts, from what you might call the Western canon, that doesn't mean that there's no room in it for, for example, if you wanted to look at Confucius's um, analects alongside Aristotle's ethics, you could do that. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to look at the epic of Gilgamesh alongside the Old Testament, you could do that. Nothing in the structure precludes that. And another thing um, is that, that the way that it's structured, and maybe you want to talk about this again in a minute, but the way that it's structured allows students to take other courses alongside which need not be in any way Western-oriented. So mm-hmm. neither internally nor externally in terms of its structure is this, is this triumphalist or supremacist. After all, I mean, being fascinated by your own culture and civilization doesn't mean that you're disparaging or snotty mm-hmm. about somebody else's. Absolutely. It just means that you're interested in your own. I guess Um, we shouldn't be apologetic
0: either, you know, in some
1: ways. Well, that's right. I mean, certainly, by all means, be aware of the awful things that have happened in the past in our civilization, just as in any other. Of course, I mean, that would be really stupid not to be, uh, because uh, unless you're aware of those, you don't know how to address the things that gave rise to them in the first place. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, don't be, in that sense, you should be aware, but not endlessly um, foolishly apologetic
0: about it all. No, I agree. Okay, well, I'm getting a better sense of the program now. Um, so, what you're saying is that um, the Western Civilization degree is is not really going to be a 24-unit study yep. of Western Civilization. The Western Civilization yep. component might be a major strand or something yep. like that. Can you talk a bit more about how flexible the program is?
1: Absolutely, Wade. In fact, I'm very happy to do this and it's almost the, the most important thing mm. I want to say because um, so often I've found talking informally to students around campuses, this is the thing that they haven't grasped mm-hmm. and maybe somehow this message hasn't got out. There's a lot of misunderstanding, so I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's, so it's good to have a chance to clear this up. Um, this is a very flexible program. Um, the first thing to say, of course, is that the program is developed by the universities, not by us. So... Um ultimately, it's up to them to prepare the curriculum and make sure that the program, as they develop it, fits in properly with their existing structures. And we do not ever seek to interfere with any of that. So if I'm talking about our program or the program, I'm not meaning to imply that we're telling our partner universities what to do. Um, you, by the way, you could pop online, if you're interested, to the University of Wollongong's website, yeah. where... Um, the, the way that they're doing this in partnership with us is, is, is it's beautiful. It's wonderful the way that they've done this. They developed it all themselves. And that gives anybody who wants to get onto their website a good way to, to understand how it works. But look, so just to answer your question briefly, the, the great books part of this Western Civilization degree would be like a somewhat extended major within your arts degree, Mm -hmm. But if if you're just doing an arts degree, it would leave the student room to do, for example, uh, an indigenous studies major or an Asian studies major or a queer studies major Mm -hmm. or any of anything you like alongside it. So it would be a terrific complement, like a foil for just imagine doing Western civilization alongside Asian studies. What a rich Mm complementary thing that would be. So the first thing is that within a straight arts degree, there's room to do a whole other strand, including if you wanted to become, in your future as a student, you wanted to become, let's say, a professional historian, then you would be able to do enough history or Mm -hmm. enough uh, philosophy if you wanted to do that, so that you could qualify to do graduate work in a discipline. So this would not rule you out from being a discipline specialist in arts. At the same time, if, you do, if you're doing this as part of a combined degree, which we, we actually believe most students will want because we're offering five-year scholarships for students, not yes. just four or three. So if you wanted to take advantage of that and you did arts law, let's say, then within the arts part of your degree, you do our extended major. I shouldn't say our, but the extended mm-hmm. major. You've got room for a bit of other arts stuff in there as well to get a wider taste of what else is available and then you do your law. So so it is actually potentially very flexible, and the other potential partners that we've been talking to, I mean, it's in the press, so I'm not giving anything away here. Uh, Queensland, for example, we've been having very productive discussions with, and they're, they're developing a very flexible um, curriculum within their existing structures, which also allow for a fair bit of um, maneuverability and variety. So, so this is very far from a kind of, you know, intimidating kind of mm-hmm. Rigid, massive, yeah. like <laughs> wall, I'm thinking of Game of Thrones, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not like the wall, it's like, um, it's only a part and an optional, obviously it's optional whether you do this at all, but if you do do it, it gives you lots of flexibility to build other things around it as well.
0: Professor Simon Haynes from the Ramsey Centre, thank you so much for speaking with Campus Review.
1: Great pleasure, Wade, thank you.